Matthew chapter number 12. Matthew chapter number 12. And we were looking on Wednesday at verse number th- uh, 32, rather. I tried to say three and two at the same time and food, and it's 32. That's where I want you to go. Matthew 12 and verse number 32. And we were looking at, uh, particularly in our study on Wednesday, we're talking about, the, we're, we've been studying on Wednesday nights concerning the kingdom of God and the, the fact that His kingdom is now and is yet to come. We have a, a spiritual reality of it now. Uh, our, our Lord rules in it now. We don't see it. And that's the only thing I mean by it being spiritual is that we don't see it. He's still very much ruling. He very much reigns now over all of His creation. But there is a physical quality of it that is yet to come. And that's what we are looking for, for that, that reality of when our Lord comes. And we were talking about some about the timing of that on Wednesday as the Scripture gives us details concerning that. But there's a, there is a time in which our Lord Jesus will come and take a physical throne here upon this earth. And there, there is a, a set time and, and times for events to take place. We believe in the millennial reign of our Lord. And as I was talking about Wednesday, the millennial reign is not, when that millennium is done, is not the end of our Lord's reign. There's just events that's going to take place. And so that that thousand year period is marked off for these other events to take place, particularly those things that John tells us about in Revelation chapter 20. When those events are done, the Lord still reigns. His reign is unending. It does not stop. It's just a a millennium is marked off in order for these events to take place that He gives mention to in chapter number 20 of the book of the Revelation. And particularly what we were looking at on Wednesday night is this uh, use of the word world here. Uh, that we, and we see it here in, in verse 32. And we're going to be looking at a few other verses that we find this word in. Uh, and we see this, this contrast of this age and the age to come. Or this world and the world to come. Is how it's given to us in the Scriptures. This uh, word here we see in verse 32. Here it's translated world. And this is that word aeon in the Greek. And the the word aeon simply means age. It's a period of time. And so here but it's translated for us as world, describing a in the sense that that the whole world is affected by that age. Whatever's going on in that age, it, it affects the whole world. It affects the whole creation. And so we read here verse 32 Whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man. It shall be forgiven him, but whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. And so there is this aeon, or this age that we are living in, neither, he says, in the age to come. And that's kind of what we're focusing on. I'm just giving you some examples here in these verses that the Scripture gives us concerning these two these two. Uh, ages, the the age now and the age that is to come. 
And we were describing on Wednesday the age that we are in now. Uh, the Scripture calls it the age of the Gentiles or the age of grace. Uh, that's, that is the, the time of reference that we are in. And the Lord, uh, and again, another very familiar verse to you is, is the Lord's commission to us there in Matthew 28. He tells us there that, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That word world is that word age or aeon. So I am with you even unto the end of the age. He doesn't have to go beyond that age to be with us in that capacity that is given there in, in Matthew chapter 28 because at the end of this age, He's catching us up to be with Him in glory. And so we're going to be physically in His presence. He's not going to have to be with us in a spiritual sense that He is now as He's given there in Matthew 28. So this, this reality, these two ages, we have the age now, which is the age of the Gentiles, the, the age uh, of grace, and then this age that is to come, that is spoken of for us in, and given uh, a little bit of insight into for us of what we can expect yet future, we realize these two ages are separated. And they are separated by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. These two ages are separated by His return, His second coming. Uh, in Matthew 24, Matthew 24 and verse number 3, uh, we see here again this word aeon. He says, And as He sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto Him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world, or the end of the age, the aeon there? And so here it is suggested that this age is to be followed, the age we are in now is to be followed by another age. What, what's going to take place at the end of this one? What's going to be the signs of this one coming? And so this, it is a reality, these, there are two ages, they are divided here by that second coming of our Lord. Uh, they are also divided by the resurrection of the dead. In Luke chapter 20, go over here and look with me here in Luke 20, and we're going to read verse 34 down through verse number 36. Luke 20, verse 34 through 36. Jesus answering said unto them, The children of this world marry and are given in marriage, but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, neither can they die any more, for they are equal unto the angels, and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. Now that the dead are raised, we're going to read verse 37, now that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush, when he calleth the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, for he is not a God of the dead, but of the living, 
for all live unto Him. And so this, this uh, age here uh, is, is divided by not only the second coming of our Lord, but of the resurrection of the dead. Neither, he says again, verse 36, neither can they die any more, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. Now, that does not mean, and this is this aggravates me to no end to hear people say this. They talk about somebody dying and all oh, they've gained their wings and they're they're an angel now. No, they're not. We are we are not made angels when we die. We we are not made angels when we come into the presence of the Lord. We are made different than the angels. We are made in the image of God. We are a special creation. We are made His children. The angels are not His children. They are His creation. They are creatures that He has made. But they are made different than us. I don't want to be an angel. I want to be like my Lord. That's, that's, that's who He has made me for. That's, that's what He is making us into to be made into the image of Christ Jesus, what Romans chapter 8, verse number 29 states. We, we remain mankind in the presence of our Lord. We are not made angels. John, or the Lord here, I said John Luke, rather, writing here the words of the Lord. The Lord simply meaning here that we're, not, we're going to be operating the same way the angels operate in glory. We're not going to be doing the same things we did on earth as humans. So we're going to be doing the things that kind of the kind of things that the angels do in glory. We're not made angels. We're just operating the same sphere that they are operating in. Um, there in verse 34 and verse 35 as well, we see that word world used again, the children of this world, this age, marry and are given in marriage. But they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world, this that age to come, he says, and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. And so this next age, there is no death um, and there is... Uh, no marriage in the sense that there is a, there's no need to, to, uh, to propagate the race. There's no need for us to continue to bear children in that sense. We, this, this, the Lord's taking care of all. It's all eternal now, you see. And so there's not any giving in marriage or being married during in these eternal ages. Uh, the second coming of our Lord... And the resurrection of the dead will terminate this age, uh, the age of grace, the age of the Gentiles, and it begins the age to come. Uh, this this will move us into a new age. This age is that we are living in now uh, is dominated by evil, uh, by wickedness. By rebellion against the will of God, uh, this we see man's sin on display uh, before us. Uh, Satan 
uh, is going about in this age. Uh, and the Bible tells us as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Uh, so we see his influence greatly felt in this age that we live in now. Um, go over to Galatians 1 and look with me here in verse 4. Galatians 1 and verse 4. Paul here speaking of Christ Jesus. He says, "...who gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father." He gave Himself for our sins that He might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. And so this world, is, this is what this world is known. This age, this is what we see around us is this wickedness, this sinful reality. This depravity of man that is exercised and seen in this world. And we have the promise uh, as we go along further in this age, Paul tells us particularly that we will see these age, this age get worse and worse. These days will get more evil. We see this as a reality in the age that we live in. And so this, this is what this age is made up of. It's what is most prominent in this particular age. Uh, go with me to Ephesians 2. And look with me here as uh, Paul describes here. I love Ephesians 2 because he's describing here how our salvation comes to us. How, how God gives unto us life. How He gives to us our salvation in Christ Jesus. He says here in verse 1, And you hath He quickened, made alive. That's what that word quickened means, made alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead. That's describing the reality of our spiritual nature before we have Christ Jesus. We are dead spiritually. That happened with Adam. When he took of the fruit that God told him not to take of, when he disobeyed God, that's when that death took place. That spiritual death, it's passed upon all of us. Paul tells us that in Romans chapter number 5. It's passed upon all of us, for we are all sinners. And so this reality of this spiritual death, that's aside from the physical death that we endure when that time comes in our, in our lives, but there is the reality of our spiritual death that we're born with. It's there from birth. We are dead in trespasses and sins. But in salvation, in, in that giving of God's grace to us, He quickens us. He makes us alive. In Christ Jesus our Lord. He gives us life where there was no life. Now again, as, as Paul describes to us in Romans 7, that does not do away with the old 
reality, the old nature, it's still there. We are given a new nature, and that new nature in Christ Jesus is sealed in us. But now there's a struggle. And Paul talks about that struggle there in Romans chapter 7, in which that old nature is now fighting against that new nature. Now, now there's a warfare going on in us, and we as the children of God recognize very quickly we are no longer dead spiritually. Because now there's a battle going on in us. The new nature against that old. The new nature does not eradicate in us. When our Lord gives us our salvation, He does not eradicate that old nature. It's still there. And will remain there until we are physically transformed in His presence, as, as 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. And so this, this reality now is a struggle going on in us as the children of God. But this quickening, this quickening to those who are dead in trespasses and sins is made in us by Christ Jesus. He says in verse 2 here of Ephesians 2, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, fulfilling the lust of the flesh and of the mind, and were by, uh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh rather, and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So Paul's describing here in verse 2 and verse number 3 the reality, what that state of our deadness, what that state was like for us as the children of God before, before it's made known to us, that salvation. We, he says we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also, he said, we all had our conversation in time past. Everyone being dead and trespasses and sins, we are like every other person in this world. We, this is the way everyone is, he's saying, without Christ Jesus. This is the state of the world without Christ. And he says here in verse 4, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you're saved. By grace, you're saved. And so it is, it is the, the work of our Father that had in, in Christ Jesus our Lord that has brought to us this salvation, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Hath raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so this, this course of the world that he describes there in verse number 2, that's the course of this age. That's the direction that all the world is in now without Christ Jesus. And with, without Christ, before we were in Him, that's the state we were in with the rest of the world in that same direction, in that same 
course with them. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, this aeon. The character of this age bears the stamp of Satan. Satan is permitted at this time to exercise influence during this age uh, to induce folks to walk displeasing to God. In this this, uh, age to come uh, that we are looking forward to, uh, He will have no influence in that age. He will will not have that place. Um, This age and this age to come. Worry and anxiety about one's physical life, uh, pressure, ambition for wealth, uh, success, prosperity, power, those are all things that characterize this age. This age. This aeon. This age is hostile to the gospel. Um, and usually, men yield to this age rather than to the gospel and to the claims of the gospel. Uh, they they will they will side with it. Uh, it seems more than not uh, because of the state in which they are in, dead in trespasses and sins. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4. Second Corinthians 4 verse 3 and 4. Paul says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Again, this that word world there in verse number 4 is that word aeon again, which is this age, in whom the God of this age hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Satan is the god of this age. Uh, And that is uh, little g, by the way. But he is the god of this age. God has allowed this. He's permitted this for the time. Uh, The malice, the evil, the deception, the sin, the conflict, the, the misery, the pain, the dying, Uh, All of these things characterize uh, this age with Satan's influence in it. This doesn't relieve man, however, of responsibility. Man is still a free moral agent. And he is responsible for his actions. He is responsible for for his works in this world, despite... 
the influence of Satan in it. And these verses tell us that the, the primary manifestation of the evil of this age is religious evil. It is religious evil. Um, it is blindness with reference to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The age to come is in direct opposition to this age. Direct opposition to this age. This present age is evil. The kingdom of God belongs to the age to come. Uh, note the age to come, the, the, the kingdom of God and eternal life are, are interchangeable uh, in, in the usage of the words. Uh, go with me to Matthew 19. Matthew chapter 19. And look with me beginning in verse number 16. Matthew 19 verse 16. We'll read down through verse number 24 of this passage. Matthew 16. I'm sorry, 19 verse 16. It says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good Master, what good thing shall I do? What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. It's important to note there what the Lord Jesus is telling him. In verse number 17, Jesus is not denying His own goodness, but rather He is declaring His deity. This, this, this young man saw the Lord Jesus and saw the goodness of Him and said, Good Master. And Jesus is simply in His response to Him is declaring His own deity before Him. Why callest thou me good? Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Which one of those commandments should I keep? Is there a particular number? Is there, is there a group of them that, that I have to perform? If, if I, I've got ten here. If I if I can get five, do I get credit for all five? Is that enough to get me over? Or do I have to get six? Do I have to have at least sixty percent to pass? You know, that's how, what do I need? To, which ones? Which ones do I need? And Jesus said to him, "Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness." Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, I got it. <laughs> hey, I, I, I took care of this. I've got all this. I've done this from my youth up. I'm good. Whoo! Glad I don't have to worry about anything else. Got it. Done. Taken care of. I do these every day.
What lack I yet, he says. I do all those. I've got it. What else do I need to do? But see, he knew. He knew based upon what the Lord had told him from his mindset, he had done those things, but he knew he did not have eternal life. He recognized that what he had done to that point was yet not enough, even though he pursued, he, 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 he presumed that he was, that he, that he did it. He had, he had kept those things, that he had, that he had worked the work of God, that he had kept the law of God, that he was, he was one that, that had, had worked all those things, but he did not have any assurance of life. What lack I yet? He said. There's something else missing. There's something else missing in me. I've, I've done all those, but there's something else missing. Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Go sell all that you've got. Give it to the poor and come follow me. He was given a list. He was given particular instructions. He wanted to know what he liked. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. What did the Lord expose to him there? He'd exposed to him he had done nothing. He had not kept the law as he thought he had kept it. Because what the Lord reveals of this young man here is that he is an idolater and he is covetous. He had put God second. He had put His riches first. Those were the things that were most important to Him. That's what He was focused on. That's where His attention was. And when He saw that what He had to do was give up all of that to follow the Lord, no, I can't do that. And He finds out quickly that He did not keep the law of God. Nobody can. Nobody can. Christ Jesus is the only one who has kept the law of God. Amen. The only one. He's the only one that will keep the law of God. It is His righteousness and His righteousness alone that He earned in keeping God's law his righteousness that He gives unto you and I. And without His righteousness, you do not have entry into His kingdom. Without His righteousness, you have no place before the throne of God. You must have the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Yours, yours, as Isaiah 64, 6 declares to us, is filth before God. It is not worthy to be in His presence. You must have the righteousness of Christ. You must have His righteousness. Now, He goes on to say here, uh, uh, go and sell all you have, come follow Me, give it to the poor and come follow Me. 
It says, the young man heard this, went away very sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now there are those that argue about what that needle is, the eye of the needle. And there was a, a needle gate there at, in, in Jerusalem and you could not get a camel through it. And there are those that say, well, he's talking about the needle gate there that you can't get a camel through the, through the needle gate. You've got to take it around to one of the other gates. And I believe that's what he's talking about. It's not, not impossible for a rich man to get to heaven, but, but, but may, may, it's just harder for him to, they say. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's talking about a needle. I think he's meaning an actual needle. You can't get a camel through it because the reality is for all of us, it is impossible for us to enter into the kingdom of God. Whether we have riches or whether we do not, whether we are as poor as dirt, it is impossible for you and I to enter into the kingdom of God on our own righteousness. Can't do it. He uses the example of the rich here, but it's the reality of the poor. And his disciples understood that as well when their very next question to him was, when he, after they heard him say that, they said, who then can be saved? Well, if that man can't do it, then who can? They understood that reality. They, they grasped what the Lord was saying there in that instant. Wait a minute. If he's not fit, I ain't either. Verse number 26 is the reason I believe the Lord's talking about an actual needle. Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible. But with God all things are possible. It's impossible for us to enter into heaven on our own righteousness. Impossible. But with God. But with God, He's made the way. With God, He's provided the righteousness that we have to have. With, with Him, that which is impossible to us is made possible in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is His righteousness that we enter into the kingdom of heaven. Here we see that interchanging of the words, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. We see them as He goes through and describing them, how they are the same. Verse 23, again there He says, Shall, uh, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. For those that try to separate the ideas of the kingdom, they're just saying the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ, it's the same kingdom. Same kingdom. And this is, this is what he's describing to us here, that same kingdom of God. Man, man asked of eternal life what he needed to do he says, what good thing, what good thing shall I do? What good thing shall I do that I may have 
eternal life. And so verse 23 and verse 24, he uses the kingdom of heaven and God to declare the eternal life there. Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven or shall a rich man enter into the kingdom of God, as he says there in verse number 24. He's, he's stating there, they, you can't, he's equating, in other words, the kingdom of God with eternal life. The only way we have place in his kingdom is by that eternal life. The only way we have eternal life is in the righteousness of Christ Jesus our Lord. The kingdom of God, like the kingdom to come, follows the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 50. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So it's not in our flesh. We don't have really a place in the kingdom of God in our flesh. Our flesh has to be dealt with. It has to be done away with. Because our flesh is still the reality of sin in this present world. And so our flesh has to be taken care of. It has to be done away with in that sense. And so he says, verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In other words, not everyone is going to die physically. There, when, when the Lord comes, there are going to be His people that are yet alive at His return, but they will all be changed. Whether dead or alive, we will all be changed. He says there in verse 52, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the, the entering into the kingdom of God, there is a requirement there that we be changed physically. That, that change is that this, this old flesh will be done away with. We are given glorified bodies at this point when we come into the presence of our Lord and this corruptible will put on incorruption. This mortal will be will put on immortality. It'll be this new body that our Lord gives unto us that we then have that entrance into His kingdom fully, into His very presence. This this takes place 
with this new creation, this glorified body in which we are given at the resurrection. At the resurrection is when this takes place. Bodies will be made incorruptible, glorious, powerful, and spiritual. All of these done in these done in the Lord Jesus. Verse number uh, 42 of the same passage. He said, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, Christ Jesus is who that is, was made a quickening spirit. Albeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy, and as is the heavenly, such as they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. I ain't going to be made like an angel. I'm going to be made like my Lord. I'm going to be made in His image fully at this resurrection from the dead. Again, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot Inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So we'll hold off there and we'll take up with uh, this study again on Wednesday as we continue uh, to look here at the kingdom, at the kingdom of God in this age and the age to come. Let's all stand and we'll be dismissed.